is uh, episode eight of uh, Tape to Tape podcast. We are recording on Tuesday, November 7th. Um, we have uh, plenty to talk about this evening, including the uh, recent games between the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Detroit Red Wings, and the Dallas Stars with your Boston Bruins. We'll also preview the upcoming games. But before we get started, I want to introduce my wonderful co-host, Carolyn. Welcome in, Carolyn. Hi, Maria. So glad to chat with you. It's been a busy, busy week it, for our Boston it Bruins. Has. It has and, been so busy. So many emotions. <laughs> so well, many emotions. <laughs> mo- mostly good stuff. It's always, yes. it's always good, you yes. know, to yeah. have a platform such as this and be talking about the good of your team as opposed to what's happening with other teams in the league, <clears throat> the Edmonton Oilers, who are a bleep <laughs> show um, right now, but we'll, we'll get we'll get to that during our around the rink segment. But um, indeed, you know, let let's just dive right in with the the uh, original six matchup with what we now call the Boston Bruins rivals, the Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leafs, which took mm-hmm. place on November second, three two yeah. shootout win. What were your takeaways from that game? You know, I wasn't sure at first if I liked that game just as a fan in general because it was so nerve-wracking. And I certainly felt some level of frustration because I thought that we could have taken advantage a little bit better of the completely atrocious start by the Leafs. But... After a day or so, I started to feel like, okay, no, that, no, that was a good time. I did enjoy it because you got to have the, uh, the full experience of hockey. You got your, your full 60 minutes. You had the five on five, not five on five, the, the, um, three on three for five minutes and a shootout. Um, and as we kind of have discussed, it all came down to goaltending for both teams. Um, I was surprised at Samsonov. I thought he actually did better than I was expecting. And I think he ended up being a little bit better than he has been. I mean, you know, it's not like he was spectacular, but he did have a few really good saves that I didn't expect him to make. Um, And no surprise that the only goal scoring that happened was from their top two guys. I mean, you can't you can't build a team around a single line and you sure as heck can't build a team around only one or two guys, as we have seen in Edmonton. And as I have a feeling we are going to be seeing in Chicago and, you know, we've seen that in other teams as well. So um, yeah, it was interesting. Just, yeah, they're just not they're not balanced enough. Right. Um, they they've got a ton of firepower mm-hmm. with their stars. You know, Nylander, Marner, Austin Matthews, John Tavares. Yeah. But tell me tell me who you know or what you right. know after that. I mean, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi doesn't <laughs> look like he's a developing any chemistry with anybody on that team. And you know, for those folks in Boston who were losing their minds mm-hmm. that the Bruins didn't throw five plus million dollars at this guy for a year. 
Yeah. You know, he he's he's just not doing it there. He's just yeah. not doing it there. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, you know, we've all had good jobs and we've all had crummy jobs in our lives, right? And you know that the culture at an organization can make a huge difference, um, not just in your own day-to-day experience, but, you know, like I think back on my younger days when I had really positive work uh, cultures and how much I was able to grow as a person and a professional. And like, this is, this is a job. You know, we've talked about this before in a lot of different contexts about you know, mentorship or the stress of jobs. And and I think that's a an element of work that a lot of people probably have a personal experience with as well. And I don't know, I mean, I'm certainly making an educated guess here on what I've seen, what I've read. You know, I don't follow the Leafs super closely to know exactly how well Todd, uh, Todd yeah, <laughs> Tyler Bertuzzi is doing. Um, but, you know... I, I heard a few of the pregame interviews and obviously I watched him very closely when he joined the team back in March. And as our friend of the pod, Adrian, said to me during the game, sometimes it's the other people on the ice that make you better. And that's not necessarily to say that Bertuzzi doesn't have a tremendous skill set, but maybe some of that is environmental or situational and Jaffe and Razor had they made a really really interesting point um and they're they the way they said it much better than really how I'm gonna say it they said it in a much more respectful way but basically they said they kind of question the leadership quality of some of the top guys in Toronto and being able to foster the right kind of environment for teasing out the best out of their players. Um, And I kind of would have to agree just as an outsider and witnessing, you know, the things that I witness or the news stories and the things that I hear. Yeah, so I feel like Bert, you know, something's not clicking there for him. Uh, it just could be like a workplace culture environment mismatch. And lucky for him, it's a, what, one-year contract? So, I mean, eh, great. I guess he's not as much of a threat as I was worried he could very well be playing for Toronto. So, Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem that, you know, some of the moves that they make are the, are the right moves to get them uh-huh. over um, a virtual hump, but you know what? That's neither here nor there. That's their problem yep. and not, not ours. You know, the fact that, you know, I didn't see the Bruins winning in a shootout with the likes of no. the firepower that comes with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, well, yeah, especially considering we had lost 50% of our decor. Right, I was right. like, I, I was just like, oh, this is this. It, it could I go knew, really wrong. It could, it go could really like, wrong. Right. I knew that the, the Bruins would have to kind of come in and just throw everything they had offensively, knowing how poor Toronto's uh, defense and goaltending is to try and capitalize on that as, as early as possible before, 
you know, Marner and Matthews and Nylander and Tavares could really do any damage. And they did, but I don't know. They maybe ran out of gas or I, I don't know. But it's also to be expected considering, you know, we had a lot of really inexperienced new guys come up and... You know, like uh, Lorai, I mean, fantastic. We could talk about him in a second. But at yes. the end of the day, this is a young guy who there's a big jump even from the AHL to the NHL in terms of intensity and speed. And like we've even heard Patra say, like, oh, I was I was getting tired. Yeah, of course you were. Like, I don't blame you. You're 19. This is crazy. So I kind of wonder if a little bit of that had happened towards the end there. But Swayman kept them in this game, and he quite literally won the game for them. <laughs> yeah, he he was he was their their best player, and and mm-hmm. we'll talk. I'd like to talk a little bit more about what seems to be a difference in Swayman. Unreal season to last season. <laughs> Just you know, if, if if you pushed me right now to ask who mm-hmm. I would think and want the number one goalie to be for the Boston Bruins. Yeah. I would likely say Jeremy Swayman. I agree. He's I looks, agree. he looks like a bigger presence in uh-huh. the net this season than he did last season. He yeah. looks so calm and what he's doing, his movement seems very effortless. I can't uh-huh. even speak right now. I've been up since <laughs> five AM folks, but just <laughs> His movement is just so fluid. It's mm-hmm. it's it's been fun to watch thus far this season. But yeah. you know, Mason Lorai, holy moly, the kid had so much poise. Yeah, and so much confidence. I if I was him, I would have been soiling my jockstrap <laughs> at the start of that game. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I he literally got the call, like, right before, basically, and showed up at the at TD Garden and got to have an experience of a lifetime and walked away with his first point, too, at that. Yeah. I mean... Which was pretty fantastic, you know? And I think... I'm excited. I'm so glad to see him play. I... I want to see him play more. Like, on the one hand, oh, man, I hope that our other guys kind of get healthy soon. But I think he is, I can't remember, uh, is he right-handed or left-handed? Left-handed? I can't remember exactly I off the top remember. of my head. But he's the he's the correct hand that he will be playing for longer than when Chucky comes back. Um so that's kind of good for him in that sense that he's probably looking at a medium length of stay, which is good because it's going to really, really help develop him. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting to watch him. Um, I'm just so excited for these young these young folks. Like I I don't know. I feel like Boston has been drowning in old guys, and I say that as a person who is older than every buddy on the team <laughs> um but you know i'm just like i'm tired of all the you know oh we need to bring in new people let's bring in another 35 year 
old. Like, come on, let's build this team for that next era. So I'm really well, excited. I, I mean, I, I understand it to some degree because I mm -hmm. do think, you know, that the Mason Lorais and the Wotherspoons and, you know, the Ian Mitchell, they need some time. They need more time to develop, mm -hmm. you know, Oscar Steve. For sure. So if, if, if you're committed to winning, mm -hmm. which it this organization has made no bones about that, yeah. then you need, you know, the, the Shattenkirks yeah. and the JVRs, right? You yeah. need those seasoned guys that know how to win, know how to get through the mm -hmm. ups and downs of an 82-game NHL season. But yeah. at the same time, it's also somewhat reassuring for the future when you see guys mm -hmm. like Lori and Wotherspoon and Steen and, you know, Beecher's getting his chance. So, right. um you know, I mean, listen, Mason Lori logged a little over 21 minutes of ice time. Yeah, which is phenomenal yep. for his first time out there. I mean, in that game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's no um just because he's a defenseman doesn't mean that he has to be out there for 20 minutes at a time, especially as a new guy, especially as a young guy. I mean, for crying out loud, I had to do a double take when you wrote this down, but the Hampus Lindholm did 30 minutes. I 30, can't remember the last time I've seen a defenseman play 30 minutes. We joke about Chucky minutes. doing it all the time, but yeah, I don't think I've actually ever seen anyone do 30 minutes. <laughs> the, ne the next closest guy on the team in this Toronto game to Hampus was Pasta, who was 24 minutes and 25 seconds yep. of total ice time. Yep. On Toronto's side, they did have uh, Morgan Riley was out there for 29.57. But, yes. you know, we are down three guys. And so Hampus was like, it's all right. I'll 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 play two people. <laughs> I'll be two yeah. people. <laughs> just, just like in our jobs every day. We say, I do the work of two people. So is Hampus. <laughs> he, he and Brandon Carlo were... were beast mode in yeah. that game and you know the other guy that i need to give a little love to because mm -hmm. i think there was questions about you know why did don sweeney sign this guy i don't think yep. it's going to work out kevin shattenkirk has been quiet holy good. moly okay mm -hmm. he has been quiet good yeah especially right now with with some key guys missing yeah he's really stepped up and i think that that's you know as much as I kind of uh, jokingly gripe about all of these veteran players coming onto the team, like him then being able to step up when needed because he can understand and recognize, like truly recognize how important that is. Like there's no, there's no 20 year old really who's going to be able to, to do that. They may have, you know, the youth and the legs to do that but like he can he can be out there and be smart and i have seen that and i you know again we'll get to it in a minute but like i really saw him do that in the dallas game um yes but you know we ended up with the with the w and i can't complain um the only other stat i want to point out which i thought mm -hmm. was like loot crazy yeah um the Bruins did have 11 turnovers, mm. but they won 37 face-offs to only 19 <laughs> for the Leafs. Yeah. I, I think I heard 
either Brick or Jack say at one point um, that at one point Austin Matthews was 0 for 11 in the face-off dot. Oh, my God. Char Charlie <laughs> Coyle. Charlie Coyle, since this Toronto game, has been a, an absolute beast in the face-off dots. He, he, won, yes. he won 18 face-offs against the Maple Leafs and lost only four. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's been unreal. Uh I believe I was looking it up to to date or at least before the Dallas game. He has faced he's got over 100 wins and the second most wins is Zaka at like 85. That's unbelievable. And he's averaging over 50%. I think I, he was like at about 53%, which like, I, I, I do get a little bit tired of the narrative that pops up from time to time. Like, oh, well, you know, if they had Bergeron. Okay. First of all, we don't. And it's not like he left or got traded. Like the man went off into the sunset. Let's let him be retired in peace. There's nothing we could have ever done about that. But you know, put it into context, like 53% when you've won over 100 at this point. I mean, he really took a lot of those lessons from Bergeron because I do recall previous interviews where he, like especially last year, maybe it was as if he almost knew like his time with Patrice was coming to an end. But he has talked in the past about how he would purposely spend time with Bergeron to, you know, practice or learn or just like take in some of that knowledge around his face-offs. And I, again, I don't know if it's because there is that, that void to fill and we just now notice him because it's so hard to notice anybody else when it comes to face-offs when Bergeron was around, but he's done a fantastic job. I mean, there was one game so far this season where he didn't have a great night. I mean, quite frankly, nobody had a great night uh, with their face-offs. But besides the one blip, I mean, I have no complaints. I have no notes on that. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> no, and I think there were questions about that going into this season. You mm -hmm. know, just, just given the fact that we lost Bergeron and, and Krejci and, you know, that, that skill level that came with those two players. So to see him ramping up that and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get to how, um, how important and valuable that was in the Dallas game. Yeah. That, that's, that's good to see. Yeah. Yeah. But then we went on to Detroit, which... It was inevitable uh, having to. All right, Carolyn, just give us, uh, give us, give me your takeaways from that Detroit game because it, it was their first loss, was only their first loss. I don't think it was a particularly great ending, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this game was a perfect example of every traumatic thing that every Bruins fan has ever experienced in their entire lives all rolled up into 60 minutes. <laughs> all of the things that we 
have seen at different points, you know, in the last uh, 15 years, all happened in one game. Uh, I'm not going to lie. They, they came in super strong. They started that first period. I was like, all right, we're going to take care of business. This is going to be a great game. We're going to dominate. This is going to be great. Partway through the second period, I was straight up bored, <laughs> which tells you something. I was like, I don't know what's this. is. I don't like this game anymore. And then as we've seen this year and we've seen again in past years, but this is like starting to be a little bit of a concerning trend. The penalties started coming um, mm -hmm. loose and fast. And, you know, I, I always... Um, take a pause before I start complaining about the referees. Although, like, you've heard me complain. I will complain. I'm not saying I don't. But sometimes, you know, I have to, like, check my bias and be like, all right, I'm about to complain about the refs. Was it because I didn't like that they, you know, called something on my team? Or, like, was it actually a bad call? And... In kind of like reading up and listening to some other opinions, I think the best way I, I, the best description of the officiating in this game to start was that it was a little bit inexperienced, <laughs> to say the least. And then you're being very gracious I, because to start, I have another to, word start for it. to start, to <laughs> start. And then um, I think what ended up happening was Boston being Boston and realizing that as things started to go sideways, as I like to say, they kind of just at some point in the game re realizing that they were they weren't going to win the arguments with the refs, that there was that, you know, maybe the standard of the refs wasn't where it needed to be, that they were going to be calling things that were just ridiculous, that they just decided to throw their hands up in the air and say, screw this. I'm just going to, I want to take my toys and go home, basically. And it became unhinged. <laughs> that game was literally unhinged. <laughs> and they, everyone was just like, screw it. You want to call me on everything? Then I'm going to give you something to call me on. And I feel like that's what happened. <laughs> and yeah, that was awful, 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 I, awful. I, I think the refs <laughs> had a really bad, bad night. When both yes. coaches, when both coaches, and you can read their lips Oy. when they're giving it to mm -hmm. the officials... That's when you know the refs are having a bad night. Yeah. Because both coaches were on their cases. Yeah. And rightfully so, particularly yeah. in that first period. Yeah. Now, this is an alarming stat for me. Mm. Detroit was awarded mm -mm. eight power plays. Yeah. You tell me. That's a if lot. If you think your team is going to win a game mm -mm. when... You're awarded eight power plays. Now, the Red Wings only scored on two God. of those eight power plays. <laughs> which means, you know, you, the, the penalty kill yeah. and your goaltending 
is is bailing you out. Yeah. But that is not a recipe for sustained success. When yeah. you have your penalty killing units needing to be on the ice for that much time, that means that the rest of your guys who potentially are the guys that are putting the puck in the net mm-hmm. can't be out on the ice. Yeah. So yeah. that that's that's a problem. Yeah. 18 penalties were called that night um, for both teams total. That's absurd. That's uh, that's uh, that's crazy, you know, and uh what ended up happening towards the end, I mean, it was like if it wasn't my team, I'd be I would have said, "Oh, that was kind of entertaining kind of just seeing it kind of fall apart like that." Uh cuz I've seen that uh, in some some playoff games and they get to that point where they're just sending guys off the ice in the final minutes because it's not worth having them out there but it was it was a disaster uh in in the sense of how the Bruins responded to that kind of uh adversity um so that was a little bit frustrating to watch as a fan uh, that's not to say that there weren't individuals who had outstanding nights in spite of everything, you know? Yeah, the highlight of the night was um, Patra's goal. That, yeah. That was yep. the highlight of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hampus Lindholm was solid again. Brandon mm-hmm. Carlo, solid again. You know, uh, Hampus Lindholm, again, led led the team, I believe, in ice time again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Against the Red Wings, you know, 20, 24, um, 24, 29. Right behind him, Mason Lorai. Yeah. Although I have to say, for as poised and con- and composed as he was in the Toronto game, I did feel like, as a young kid without very much experience, I think he was affected by a lot of the insanity that was happening because I remember thinking, oh, this, he's, he made some, um, he made some mistakes that I would certainly chalk up to just, you know, his lack of experience in general. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if he was making some of these mistakes because of quite frankly, all the distractions that were happening in the, the circus that was this game. Um, because I didn't see that really happen to him in the next game. So I I kind of just wonder, like, you know, when you're early on playing at the pro level, you, you kind of have to develop that skill to be able to kind of focus and tune some of the, the BS out. And so I kind of saw his, I don't know, his, his polish kind of, not be there as much in that game um but you no, know and you and you know who else agrees with you on that is is uh ty anderson who oh, yeah. for um uh, 98.5 <laughs> there you go um the, the sports hub and he had an interesting um statistic that he was he was pointing out on on uh twitter x and that mm. he has had and, and he's talking about lori he mm-hmm. has had two points but he's also saying that the bruins are getting um, shelled five on five with Mason yeah. Lari out there. They're being outshot twenty six to eleven. Yeah, out attempted forty four to twenty in the last two games. So yes. Um. So there is again. You know, we all fall in love with our shiny new toys, sure. and Absolutely. we see a kid like that, 
and we think, oh my gosh, we got to bring him up. Want him to play with Charlie McAvoy. Mm -hmm. Want him to play with, you know, this person, that person. But right. he still needs to grow and yes. develop. And other teams are going to figure out a way to expose young yeah. players. Yeah. As much as, you know, we've definitely heard how Boston is doing what they can to protect and preserve Patra, you know, they still need to do something as much as they can for Lowry while he's up because, again, remembering that he's a defenseman and the fact that there are only three lines of defensemen and two players on each line, like, they're naturally going to have more minutes anyways. So just being cognizant of we need to protect him too because he has things he needs to learn. And you don't want to set him up for failure. You don't want to have him be constantly put in positions where then he becomes a liability because that doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do the team any good and it doesn't do him any good as a developing player because he's then going to feel like crap because, oh, there's another one that I screwed up or whatever, right? So, you know, that game, as much as you want to call it a scheduled loss for the Bruins, like they needed, I guess they just needed to get that out of their system because after that game, I think I said to you, and I certainly said to anybody who would listen, because I tell everybody all of my opinions all the time, <laughs> that if if the Bruins respond in the way that I'm expecting them to, based on their leadership and how he leads, Brad Marchand, they're going to come out of this like a cannon on... What was it? Uh, to Sunday night, right? I don't know what day of the week it is. No, Against Monday Dallas. Night. Monday, Monday night. night. Thank you. Monday night. Last night, right. So, because I feel two things. One, I think that's just generally Marshawn's personality, where if something doesn't go right, he, whether it's shift to shift, period to period, game to game, if something's not going right, his response is very... Uh, like a physical response. And I don't mean physical as in like, he's going to come out and like try and punch you in the head. Um, but he's going to, he's going to be very aggressive. Like this game is going slow and there's no energy. I'm going to go out and I'm going to lay out a big hit on somewhere. I'm going to try and do a crazy move and like really like drag the team up with him. Right. We've seen him do that his entire career. And I think that's how he leads his, the team. And so, I was excited to actually kind of see them play Dallas. I wasn't nervous because I was like, I think this is how he's going to lead the team. And I think this is how they're going to respond. And they 1000% did. And I was so happy. Well, I'll tell you, for me, that that game, <sighs> um, the fourth line set the tone. For, yeah. From, for that game, from puck drop. You know, yeah. Jim Montgomery sent them out there to start the game. And they played with such energy yeah. and such tenacity mm -hmm. that it just set the standard for yeah. the rest of the lines to mm -hmm. follow suit. And I think that that was the first 60-minute hockey game. Yeah. 
it, we have seen from the Bruins at least this 59, year. 59 minutes and 53 seconds. <laughs> That's as close as we've gotten. Close enough yeah. for me, as long close as we enough. get the win. Close enough. Yeah, it's it was that was that was a very, very interesting game because you know, the other thing that we have talked about before that the Bruins just have had the tendency to do for years now is they play down to the weaker teams and then they lose to them like Anaheim or Detroit and you know Detroit's on the up and up they're definitely a better team uh on that game than Anaheim was at the time of our last game with them well let me tell you though Anaheim yeah. since they beat the Bruins since yes has have been on a little bit of a tear yeah well, maybe they got a little confidence from that overtime win <laughs> but like to my point they will lose or have these tight close games against teams that there's an obvious mismatch and then they'll turn around and they'll go and play Colorado or Dallas or Tampa and really be competitive like consistently competitive so like I kind of had that in my mind thinking like all right I'm gonna anticipate that happening and I loved this game and I think the reason why I loved this game was because it wasn't that like Dallas didn't fall apart at all uh maybe at the very very end when they were getting desperate but one of my favorite things about de- looking at hockey statistics and hockey analytics you know a lot of folks will often say, oh, the eye test. That's the, the premier way to tell how good a team is. And like, yes, there's an element of that in hockey, but there's also statistics. And I think you can't ever just completely disregard the statistics. And in between the periods on our Discord channel, which everybody should check out and join us for game day chats, um, it came up like, Oh, what, you know, the, the, why do they keep talking? Like, why do the announcers or whatever keep talking about, you know, Dallas, uh, being all over the place when clearly the Bruins have, um, higher shots on goal. And I'm all right, I'm going to take a look and whatever. And the fact was Dallas consistently throughout that game had more shot attempts, but the Bruins had more shots on goal which means they were converting all of those attempts at shots and they were actually getting onto the net and thus getting into the goal. And so I thought that was really interesting because I loved the game just for that. Dallas didn't like suddenly fold. It was a high, high quality win for the Bruins because they matched Dallas's uh, tenacity their execution. I mean, they were there every step of the way. They were all in the right places at the right time. Jeremy Swayman was superhuman. I don't even understand how this, how this man can move the way that he does. I mean, I loved every second of this game. It's one of those games that just reminds me why I love this sport so much. Well, and, and the Bruins survived all of Dallas's pushback. Yes. Because they had some serious push. Mm-hmm. And that that 
Dallas Stars team. Scary. Is a scary mm-hmm. good team. Mm-hmm. They are one of the the darlings of, you know, mm-hmm. a potential Stanley Cup finalist team. Yeah. So that was a big litmus test for yeah. the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think that wasn't underscored by um, Coach Montgomery either because I think, you know, some, some guys' uh, ice times got a little bit limited as mm-hmm. that game mm-hmm. as that game went along. Yeah. Yeah, it was um so exciting. I mean, from so many different elements. John Beecher's first goal, Mason Lorai's first goal. You love to see that rookie night. Um and it wasn't really until late in the game that things started to get past Swayman, but even then we're talking about they, they tip-ins, tip-ins and, like, you... I mean, that's not, not his excuses. fault. No, no, not but, to make excuses, right? Right, But, right. you know... It's to not, be expected. Right. Let's just put it that way. Nobody's stopping those. That's all... That all comes down to the hockey gods, right? <laughs> when, when that happens. The only, like, in general, no notes, right? Like, perfect game. My only qualm was... Why on earth did the referee call a penalty with like seven seconds left in this game? Why did they do that? Why? Why? What purpose does that serve? Anybody? Are you you really asking me that question when you know how I feel about (laughs) NHL officiating? I, I would like to ask him that. And the other question I would like to ask him is, are, are any defensemen, a defenseman allowed to make any contact. Oh my with God! An incoming Campus. offensive player. I'm just asking right. for a friend. I I, I don't understand. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I I would have to look again a little bit more closely, and maybe you, you take better notes than I do. But the fact that Hampus Lindholm was in the box again twice, I don't know necessarily what's kind of going on. I feel like I need to take a minute. To take a look at his uh, his season right now, because speaking of eye test, usually that's the that's what triggers me to go investigate. Uh, truly, like, okay, what's this guy's deal? What's going on here, right? Um, what's going on with Hampus Lindholm? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, there are games where he's phenomenal and he's getting all the passes and blah, blah, blah. And then he's having these other games where they're just absolutely terrible. The man is racking up penalty minutes, which for our friends out there who maybe don't remember watching hockey in the 80s and the 90s, like that was a standard for defensemen, I think. (laughs) All those uh, penalty minutes. And in this day and age, it's kind of not really who the Bruins are. So it's it's a little bit weird to see him constantly getting sent into the penalty box. Uh I'm like, I don't I so I don't really know what's going on there. That was weird to see. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. Um I, I just it just seems to me the new NHL doesn't afford defensemen the opportunity. Yeah. To, I don't know. To to be as as physical now, I, you know, yeah. I, I'm I I don't like the stick work, right? If mm-hmm. you're using your stick against another player, then you deserve to go 
yeah. to the box. Yeah. But, you know, some of the interference calls, it's like, what are you looking at? What, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So. It has to be frustrating for the defensemen, too. Yeah. I mean, it's their literal, literal job to do what they can within the confines of the rules to stop a player from continuing to move forward. Like, at what point? Like, I don't know. It, it's it's and e- It's got to be frustrating, with, yeah. Even with penalty minutes, he's still, you know, in the Dallas game, he still mm-hmm. logged over 24 minutes of ice time. Yeah. Brandon Carlo logged over 25. <laughs> so, now, now, again, those are a lot of minutes. It at, is. at some point, you've you've got to get a. I, I would like to think a balance going because you don't want to wear these two big guys out. No, and you know I think we're gonna see a, a little bit more balance in the time once our guys start coming back, especially Chucky, because you know we've talked about him being like this ridiculous machine out there because he is typically our top minute guy and he's usually get if he's having a a busy night he's looking at 26 to 28 minutes so this is like outrageous the amount of time that carlo and lindholm have been putting out there and you know maybe it's just with with lindholm um uh, just the the fact that he has to be out there more. So like the odds of getting called more, I don't know. You know what I mean? It just could be one of those things. So, um, but yeah, Carlo again, fantastic. I mean, I don't know if how, how common uh, the knowledge is of like the generally accepted uh, ages at which different types of players kind of really start to come into their own. So, like, forward players tend to really hit their max level uh, fairly early in their 20s, uh, maybe, like, by 25-ish. Defensemen tend to kind of, they call it, like, fully maturing into their role and their skills and ability. Defensemen tend to be a little bit older, like, about 28, 27, 28, and I believe goalies are a little, or even further, um, like, 28, 29. So... The fact that uh, someone like Brandon Carlo is his game seems to be improving so dramatically. I mean, he is young still. He's only he's about to be 27, I think, this month. So it kind of makes sense too, like under the right tutelage and really getting pushed, especially with the, this head coach who really is all about defensemen and getting them involved and pushing them I guess I'm not surprised but I'm also a little bit surprised because I'm not used to Brandon Carlo being such a phenomenal player (laughs) well we've been waiting for Brandon Carlo's coming out party I think he's 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 arrived he's he's fine he has arrived arrived I think he's been here I think he's been here I think some of us myself included Mm -hmm. given his size was have been has have been wanting to see yeah. more physicality mm-hmm. out of him and a little bit more um, focus on offense from mm-hmm. him, and I think he's he's doing that this season. He's just he's not a flashy guy, and so no, you know he's he's steady, rock solid, and mm-hmm. you know what? From a defensive standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, he's very effective, and I think. The other piece is 
when you look at his size, uh, he is 6'6". He's clearly the tallest guy on the team. Um, he And he's not, like, super big either. He's 218, so he's, like, a medium-sized guy. I think people tend to assume, oh, well, he's a 6'6 defenseman. He must be a bruiser. And he doesn't play that way. And I kind of wonder if, like, that's also partly why people have been disappointed with who he is and how he's played. I mean, granted, like, let's be clear, at the start of last season, I was definitely one of the people who was saying, if Carlo doesn't show up this year, we need to trade him. But he turned that around under this new coaching and he continues to excel and I think it's just like some of that piece is like people just still thinking like oh I wish he I wish he just hit a little bit more yeah no I, and, and that, I don't disagree you know, when, but when I also... see a defenseman that size that's my first wish list right sure and, yeah. and maybe that's my you know it's an unfair assumption for me to make that someone that size is just going to have the ability mm-hmm. to play a physical game Mm-hmm. Just because he looks like an able-bodied yeah. hockey player, enforcer, as of, opposed of to like you know <laughs> the the Tory Krugs and the Matt Grizzlicks right. and and the Connor Cliftons who, right, good good defensemen. Mm-hmm. You know, Tory Krug was very good defenseman here. Mm-hmm. Grizzlick had a great season last season. Yeah, but they're they're not you know those heavy rough. Right. Tough defenseman that right. you know I that that's my preference but you yeah. can't have a team full of those guys either I understand right. that exactly and I think you know I don't blame him for not being one of those um old enforcer types um if he's got the skills by all means like don't just be a brute out on the ice go show us what you've got but he also has a history of concussions and you know, at this point, we've seen enough of them over his short career that I'm like, quite frankly, please don't be one of those guys because I don't want to lose you. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm super pumped to see him uh, do really well, too. That just that's stuff like that that just makes me happy. But what do you what's your take now? We're how many games into this season? Um about what 10 11 games in 12 maybe uh, they played 12 thus far 12 i know it's still early we're not even we're not even a quarter of the way we're like what almost an eighth of the way <laughs> through um what what are patterns that you're seeing well i i you for know, good or bad no well let, let's start with the um the good the mm. good mm. is a no-brainer Mm-hmm. The goaltending, holy cow, out of this world, mm-hmm. just phenomenal. You know the, the the fact that here we are, only twelve games into the season, mm-hmm. and already Boston Sports Talk Radio is bringing up the topic of trading a goalie. <laughs> okay, which again, maybe maybe that's in in play. I don't yeah. know because. You're still missing a center, you know, a legitimate center. And that will speak to further concerns about balanced scoring again. Yeah. Because I'm not quite sure how we're going to get there 
if Monty keeps juggling lines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see some getting settled Mm. to see what you actually have. Yeah. In terms of developing some balance Mm -hmm. scoring. Um, but the go- the goaltending has has been rock solid. Yeah, um, I I think the defense has been very good too. Yeah, the, the power the the penalty kill unit mm. chef's kiss. is Mwah. chef's kiss. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean you I, I don't know if you can find a, a better mm. penalty kill unit in the in the league right now especially yeah. given the number of penalties minutes Ugh. that they're racking up and l- let me let me share this little stat with you mm. as my son and I were discussing this just last night the Bruins are now seventh in the league mm-hmm. in penalty minutes <laughs> okay um and you tell me when you thought that a Bruins team who's typically been focused on defensive structure yeah would have Already 139 penalty minutes. <laughs> Arizona is currently leading the league with 178. Oh, my God. So there are, you know, a few other teams sprinkled in between there. But yeah. that's not really a top 10 stat that I think the Bruins want in their resume right no. now. No. No. They're lucky that they have such a good penalty kill. Um I agree. You know, I think I'm I'm right there with you. I I'm a little bit worried. Not worried, because that sounds like catastrophic. I I don't like the number of penalties that I'm seeing from regular veterans mm-hmm. who I feel like have not been regular penalty people. <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, so I'm just a little bit worried about the discipline piece. Uh, and maybe that comes from some level of frustration that they experience at points during games. Um, and I do feel like the scoring depth, while it's there, it's not what it was last year. And now I understand that last year's scoring depth, that happens once every 100 years. (laughs) So I have to keep reminding myself that at least we aren't a one-line team. However, there are days or moments when I'm watching a game and I feel as if not only are we a single-line team, scoring team or a single person scoring team and that is the major problem that teams like Toronto and Edmonton and Chicago face and so I don't know like I just I I'm I'm not nervous yet please like you know the sky's not falling but I'm like all right Let's see some more from other lines. And so I was very excited about the fourth line, especially considering how much that line has changed just because of injuries. Like it was a great fourth line pre-Lucic and Lauco injury. And it's kind of come back with the Steen and Heinen. But I just, I don't know. Uh, Like the chemistry piece 
I, I'm not against Monty doing what he needs to do, but also, like, I feel like at this point in the year, last year, we had at least regular lines that we were, they, you know, were consistently starting with or consistently practicing with. And I feel like it's just still a little bit of the Wild West. And so I do worry a little bit about chemistry because, or like being in sync, because I definitely see that in the games when there are certain line combinations, whether or not they started together, you can tell like they're just not quite clicking. Uh, But whatever happened last night, clicking like clockwork, fantastic. So Monty, do that again. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I think you need to start getting a little bit more out of... Morgan Geeky and Jake DeBrusque. They, they, yeah. They, they got to give you more. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, Geeky's been doing better and done more than JD, which stinks. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, and I'm sure he's vic- falling victim to the constant line shuffling as well. So, you know, yeah. we were talking about the broader work culture context for someone like Bert as a, at the team organizational level, but like, you know, that could be something that's a very real thing that's happening for some of these other players who it's like, like my work environment is changing every 10 minutes here. Like I can't, I can't get into a rhythm with, with this. So we'll see. That's something that I'm keeping an eye on and hoping no, no, won't no. And, and become an have, issue. Again, long way to go. You know, yep. you still have trade deadline. You, yep. you do have, you know, asset availability. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's out of the realm of possibility. Sure. That, you know, if if you're sitting pretty mm-hmm. during that litmus time of U.S. Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. where you're sitting mm-hmm. in a playoff position, I frankly think now it's a little bit later than U.S. Yes. Thanksgiving. Okay, but let, let's go with that traditional, mm-hmm. let's take a look at the standings at that period of time. Right. And... You know, you're looking at what your team's needs are or may be at that point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, is it plausible that Sweeney might start shaking some trees to see if there is any interest in yeah. I don't taking know. a goalie off of our hands or maybe a Matt Grizzlick, you know, yeah. off of our hands? Um, sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried, but I'm curious to see where lines and chemistry are in probably, probably by the end of this month, I'm, I would really hope to think that they could be settled a little bit more because as that chemistry then develops, hopefully that leads to more scoring depth because like, you don't want to be just reliant on your goaltender and you don't want to be just reliant on your superstar goal scorer. Like for everybody's health and sanity, <laughs> yours and mine included, please let's continue this trend of other folks actually scoring because I'll go crazy. <laughs> I'll go crazy yelling at the TV. So Well, we should be used to it. So. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the trauma of being a Boston I... Bruins fan. You know, but, um, you know, I, I think uh, Don Sweeney will likely do his his uh, due diligence. Now, you know, the, the issue is that there are a lot of teams in the same position as the Boston Bruins. Sure. Mm-hmm. In terms of their, you know, their cap situation. 
And when you look at your roster and you see where the heavy cap hits are, you have to say to yourself, do I really want to risk parting with this? Will I actually be making my team better? Mm -hmm. If right. Obviously, if the answer is no, then yeah. you don't do it. But if someone comes to you with an offer that you simply can't refuse, yeah, then you've got to entertain the offer. But we, we have we have a long way. Yes, um, we have a long way to, to get to that. The, the other one area of concern that I have is um, I looked back at the last five games, like going back to Florida, Detroit, Toronto. Detroit again, and Dallas, mm -hmm. and the Bruins' power play opportunities. Mm. Now, they have pretty good personnel, in my view, Yeah, on those power play units. They're only three for 15, mm. and I think that number needs to be better. I know. I think we, we've gotten sidetracked by the fact, well, it's higher than zero, <laughs> so... Um. Now that that yeah, and I think that number needs to be better than that. Yes, yeah, it's not enough to to just now be able to kind of convert and be entering the offensive zone because, like last year, we couldn't even couldn't even get into the zone. Like, great first step, get in the zone, excellent. I feel like we're getting that consistently. Now we need to be doing a little more converting. I completely agree with you. That's a good point. And so we've got games upcoming mm -hmm. um, against the New York Islanders yeah. on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and the Islanders are, you know, middle of the pack, middle of the pack team. It's always an interesting dynamic yeah. playing mm -hmm. against against them. Yep. And then we've got the old old mm. rivals. The traditional Montreal Canadiens on Saturday, who don't look now, folks, they're having a sneaky good little year thus far. Yeah. All right. I want to see that come back. You know, that's tradition. That's the oldest tradition. So I hope it's a good game. You know, I think we can't um, can't really count any any team as a surefire win because you know everything's situational it depends how when was our last loss what's their travel schedule been you know what's everybody going through so i think everybody is a is a legitimate team to be facing at this point you know no and and there's 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 a decent amount of parity in mm -hmm. in, in the league so i have yeah. to give them credit credit for that Mm -hmm. Um, the two worst teams in the league right now yep. are the Edmonton Oilers <laughs> and the San Jose Sharks. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Sharks are just like, you almost feel sorry for that, that group of yeah. players and, and the fan base, but the Oilers being second to last, <laughs> who would have thought that was coming? Yeah. That's, to quote uh, Seinfeld, that's a shame. Uh, <laughs> I do feel bad for the guys on, on San Jose. Like, that's just, that team was gutted from last year. Uh, there's, like, hardly anybody left there. And 
I don't know if they, I, I, I wonder what the, you know, five-year plan is for San Jose in terms of what they were, what their strategy was. Like, you, you, you cleaned house, you kept like three guys. Is that, were you just planning on this year to be a wash because you needed to clear space? Because uh, I, I, there's no, there's nothing else that's working for them. There's no chemistry. There's no decent, like, anything happening. So uh, oh, it kind of sucks for the guys that are there. I don't know. but I don't know what they're doing. But the, the, the real shocker and the real discombobulation is is in Edmonton right now. Yeah. What an unmitigated <laughs> disaster of a season that is turning into right now. Yep. Now, that's not to say that, you know, a- any team can turn things around. Mm-hmm. But if they don't actually get goaltending there, yeah. Yeah. they can just kiss their season goodbye. Yeah. Um, and I just read today that they yes. released, they waived Wave. Jack Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Connor McDavid may go down is one of the greatest players in the history of the league without a legitimate opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. And if you're Connor McDavid, do you want to stay there? Mm -mm. Yeah, I... That's, that's a head scratcher. I know the things that I've read... They're getting scared. The team, like the organization is getting scared that, um, you know, uh, are they going to be able to keep then any of those players around? I mean, Dreisaitl, he's got this season and then he's got next season and he's a UFA. McDavid has this season, next season, and the following season he's UFA. So what, what does that mean? For the team, like, uh, can they can they keep him? I don't know. McDavid's twenty six, so he's gonna be twenty eight when his contract comes up. Which, like, that's prime prime age. Like, he's not aging out. Uh, Drysital, um, he's currently twenty eight, so he's gonna be what twenty nine ish, thirty. I don't know when his birthday is. Um, when he becomes a UFA. You know, I mean, he's running out of, of time. When you when you see situations like this, Edmonton, Toronto, a little bit, because you know I don't think they have you know. So you know I compare and contrast mm-hmm. caliber of goaltending based on what we have, right? Yeah. And we have an abundance of it, and, yeah. and we're lucky. But mm-hmm. it just goes to show the value of that because yeah. you can have all the firepower that you can afford up front. Mm -hmm. But if the back end of your house has (laughs) leaks and cracks in it, what good does all that firepower do you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're pumping in six, seven goals a game, but you're potentially giving up seven or eight goals a game. Or if you're San Jose 10. (laughs) Right. How, you know, it, 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 just that, that mindset Mm -hmm. of, not building your foundation, starting with good goaltending. Mm-hmm. Now, do you yeah. need great goaltending? 
not necessarily during the regular season. You need you hot need goaltending. Good, solid goaltending. Steady goaltending. Mm-hmm. Reliable. During the playoffs, you mm-hmm. need hot goaltending. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, look at Bob last year, right? So, and you've heard me say this. Everyone will have heard me say this a million times. I grew up in a house where we believed goaltending is what wins cups. Defense wins cups. So, and the ultimate defender is your goaltender. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of way I kind of like dove right into our uh, around the rink. What the chirp right there. I mean, the other couple of really big stories of note. Uh, all respect to where respect is due. Sidney Crosby, Sid the Kid. He's about to, he did play actually. It was on the fourth, his 1200th yeah. NHL game. I mean, this guy. Congratulations to him. Amazing. Superstar it's amazing. Day- from day one, mm-hmm. from the day he entered the league um, yep. to whenever he decides to end his career, his yeah. resume speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just incredible respect. And, you know, he's one of those guys who, you know, he's good people too, based on how he comports himself and how he speaks and, and the things that he does and the way that he respects the game. So, uh, even though he's a penguin, you know, respect. Absolutely. Um, we've not heard anything about Chucky. So, I mean, not that we, either of us really thought that there was any, going to be any shortening of that sentence from, uh, uh Batman. And, and that hearing was supposed to have taken place yesterday, yesterday but yep. I have seen nothing anywhere to indicate whether, um, the illustrious commissioner has made any decision or determination. Yeah. Or that, that it even actually happened, right? Right, right. I don't even know. Did it actually happen? I have no idea. I mean, that, that was just based on the Monday, I think, was based on what I heard on the Morning Brew podcast. Same. With um, Billy Jaffe and Andrew Raycroft. So, yeah. And, and you know, Billy, Billy Jaffe's pretty tied in to... Yeah, um, the, he works for the NHL Network. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, and uh, my just favorite, you know, to wrap things up a little bit. Um, I don't know what category this falls under, but uh, did you ever used to watch those, or your kids maybe probably watched on uh, VHS, like the NHL bloopers? If anybody remembers those, I remember watching those. Uh, VHSs, and I always thought those were absolutely hilarious. And there was a video that was out on Instagram, uh, and it made its rounds through all the social media, and we'll make sure to post it in the show notes. But this just had me cracking up. Uh, Gustav Nyquist took a stick to the face. It's just terrible, right? And there he is kneeling. He's picking up his teeth. And I, like, he had to have picked up at least four teeth, as far as I can tell. And that just had me laughing so hard, because that's 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 what it means to play hockey. Only a hockey player. <laughs> I love it. a hockey player would be Only sitting there. Only a hockey player. Nobody's paying attention. There was no medical staff. He's just sitting there picking them up like it's stones to pick up from the, I from the ground. I love it. I love it. And uh, but, j- yeah. just uh, just I uh, just uh, l- just a couple just a quick oh, little yes. rant here oh, on always the NHL so-called you know TV deal 
with the full letter network. Okay. What the heck happened there? Oh Nobody I know could watch the game on Hulu. No. No. Anywhere. No. Every other game on Hulu was loading except the Bruins. Yeah. And the Maple Leafs. I you know. You have That's an original big money. six matchup. You uh-huh. idiots. I know. <laughs> you total, <laughs> utter idiots. How do you screw that one up of all the games, right? <laughs> People are trying to, like, go out to, like, any streaming service they can oh, yeah. find oh, in yeah. order to get this game. And you talk about wanting to showcase your league. And this is <laughs> this is the technology that yep. you choose to use to showcase your league <laughs> garbage garbage yeah that was a that was a surprise and a disappointment for sure it's like i didn't i thought it was just me but then i was asking around nope nobody could get it to load no so. it was it was all over social media so yeah. uh, it, yes we 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 were not alone in our agony being no. able to watch our team no. play cuz you know i'll try to avoid watching espn Oh, me too. At any cost. At any cost, yep. There's no love lost there for me and Sean McDonough. So. Well, I, I like Sean. <laughs> you like him. I can't stand disagree. him. I know. We can't <laughs> disagree. I'm just not a fan of the four-letter network in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yep. But anything else that we've got to talk about today? I don't even know. There's just so much always going on. I hate to miss you know, anything. I know. I think we've covered um I think so covered too. A, a lot, you know. I know that there was a lot being made mm. of the Brad Marchand, Timothy Lindgren hit mm-hmm. and can we can we just leave Brad Marchand the hell alone? Listen, <laughs> we get it. Anything this guy does, yeah. people hate and they want to throw him in jail and throw yeah. the book at him, okay? Mm-hmm. If if people actually take a minute to look at what happened, yep. and they listen to actual former officials right. who break down the play, Right, there was nothing dirty yep. about that play. Has yep. he done dirty things in the past? Sure. Yes. In this yeah. instance, you're grasping at straws, people. Right. Leave him the hell alone. Yes, exactly. I will fight you. <laughs> don't don't do any don't say anything bad about everybody's favorite little ball of hate. But well, I'm ready for bed, Maria. Tomorrow? Uh, no, not tomorrow. Two days. I gotta wait till Thursday now for our next hockey game. For our next hockey game, we'll be back again next week. Yeah. Uh, to uh, break down the games that the uh, Bruins have between now and uh, next Tuesday when we're scheduled yeah. to record again. We'll have. Um, updates on the Islanders, mm-hmm. the Canadians. Um, mm-hmm. We'll be looking forward to having uh, Charlie McAvoy back on the ice again and maybe getting an injured player or two back on the ice. Um, Here's hoping. With any hope. So yeah. until then, thank you all for listening. Please uh, give us give us a follow, give us a rating, and uh, hit me up on uh, X if you have any questions. Yeah. Maria of H2O Town. We'll read them uh, live on air and do our best to um, answer them intelligently. Absolutely. Awesome. Go bees. Go bees.